Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Outdoor editor for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Brian Hendricks, joins the zone to discuss all things outdoors. Thanks to world-famous McClard's Barbecue. McClard's is still going after 95 years, so you know they're doing something right. Visit their new location at 9219 Stagecoach Road in Little Rock. If I hit that fishing hole today, she'd be packing all her things and she'd be gone by noon. Well, I'm gonna miss her. It is time. To delve in. Brian, welcome. How are you? It is good. I'm good. I'm very, very well. Good to be here. All right. Well, turkey season is well underway. Can we start with the book conversation? Yeah. Um, new book by Brian. St. Tom's Cathedral, A Turkey Hunter's Quest for His Best. A memoir. Memoir. This is uh, a collection of experiences? It's a, Yeah, it's a collection of experiences. It's, uh, you know, in, in its core, it's a turkey hunting book. And it's got all of the meat and potatoes things that a turkey hunter would want to read in there. Uh, pretty extensive things. But it's also kind of a journey through a life, you know. It's about life and loss and redemption and forgiveness and uh, coming back from adversity. It's about, uh, you know, the forward is is about how I kind of clawed into turkey hunting when I was diagnosed with cancer. It's just a way to get to the next day. It's like that's up ahead. And that's what I'm that's what I'm going for, you know. And uh, it's that's kind of the premise that it's based on. So it's a lot of things in there. People that read that expect to read just a meat and potatoes turkey hunting book, and they come away with quite a bit more. It's got some really good reviews. You keep talking about turkey and meat and potatoes. You're making me hungry, buddy. Yeah. Appreciate you. You bet. Uh, what are the early returns on turkey hunting season so far? Uh, it started yesterday. So far, the numbers are about 800 minus, uh, not including the youth hunt the, uh, the week before, which was around about 1,200. We're sitting at 800 yesterday or today and yesterday. A lot of my friends got one. I was out all day, and I didn't hear a peep. It was as quiet as a library. Hmm. The place that I call St. Tom's Cathedral is a place where I've killed four turkeys over the years, and I believe it's been converted into a county library now because it's silent. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Yep. How about that? Um the word is the word out. is out. They know you're there. They know. They know I've been there anyway. They've mm-hmm. they've left. Yeah. Yeah. Where where do you like to go? Has there been a county or a particular area that's been good yeah, for you? I do most of my hunting in Grant County, about ten miles south of Benton, and about the same distance north of uh, Sheridan. Okay. And it's uh, it's a piece of leased land that I've been part of since 2009, and it's got some birds on it. And uh, for the most part, I've had it to myself for a number of years, but we have a few other turkey hunters that have joined that club and so now it's not quite so exclusive anymore turkeys and turkeys here really well i heard is that right they hear really really well uh you know i'll give you an example of uh some years ago i was i saw some so far in the distance on a on an electrical right away that i had to use binoculars to make sure they weren't crows it was just black dots out mm-hmm. there and called to them and then got off there wasn't any place to sit really there aren't any trees on the sides of those things so i just got off in some brush with a little ground chair and about 45 minutes later a hen came in and poked her head right into where I was and looked at me from the distance that you and I are right now they're able to pinpoint that sound and and go right to it hmm. 
no matter what it is. Did she uh, poke her head in any more brush the rest of her life? No, she. You know, you're not allowed to kill hens. I was hoping she would bring a gobbler with her, and uh. she did not. But that's one thing that they'll do is uh, you can call to them, and if a gobbler is around, even in the morning, and he doesn't come to you, he remembers where you were. He may come in a couple of hours later, but he knows where you were, <laughs> and they will do that. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. But you have to be particularly quiet other than when you're calling them? Not so much quiet as still. Hmm. You know, there's a lot of sounds in the woods. There's things out rustling leaves, and turkeys themselves make quite a bit of noise when they're walking around and doing their thing, and there's armadillos out. There's a lot of noise in the woods, but you can't move around. They will see that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if I do well at that. That may not be my strong suit because sitting still is not my best thing. Yeah, and if you're camoed up, they'll see the movement and they won't really associate that with a human form. If you're dressed in, excuse me, <clears throat> if you're dressed in blue jeans and things like that, people do hunt that way successfully. But you really have to be still. If they if they can make out a human form, if they if they associate that, then they're out of there. Uh, you know, if they see movement, they get spooked, but they'll come back sometimes. You know, a lot of times they will. Okay. What makes for the best call? Uh, the best call, the most uh, uh, versatile one is just a, a mouth diaphragm that you can put in your mouth, and it's got a little piece of latex, a couple of them actually. They'll be cut into various forms. You make a lot of different sounds with them. Some are very raspy. Some are very high-pitched and shrill. Uh, I prefer a good raspy one to make the the cackles that the turkeys make, but you can also do feed calls with them, and you don't have to move your hands. That's all in the mouth. Mm. You, know, you have the box calls where you're scraping a lid across a box, or a pot call where you're you're scraping a stick, a you know a, a striker across. A, those are great, but you're moving. And when a turkey gets in close, you know you have to figure out a way mm. to eliminate that movement. That's where it all comes down with the with the mouth thing. And there are people that can just do it with their throat, you know, with their mm. with their vocal cords. Hats off to them. I can't. That's, That's amazing. Yep. Do you practice that? I can't. I just can't do it. You, you've tried. Yeah, you, I have. <laughs> you kept trying and finally gave up. I gave up on it. But the the, the diaphragm does a good job. You know, you can you can vary uh, you can vary your pitch, you can vary your tone, your volume. If you need to project, you can do that. But if you need to be really, really quiet for a bird that's close, you can do that, too. Do you uh, practice your calls at home? I do. In okay. The, in the car, at home. How do you know if they're good or not? Uh, they are. <laughs> <laughs> when they I talk like back. <laughs> right, that's, that's right. good. <laughs> it's ranking hunting feelings. Having a turkey respond to you, where does that rank? It absolutely. Uh, it, it sends a jolt through you that it's hard to describe. It's almost like when you get a, a big bite on a line. There's just something that does to you. But the main thing is when they get close, there's there's a difference in the way they sound from a distance and a, and a difference with the way they sound when they're really up close. There's a lot of bass in it. You know, mm -hmm. they project that through their diaphragm. Mm -hmm. They project that out. And it's a it just turns your insides to jelly when you're when you're that close to one. I mean, you can feel the bass go through you. And uh, they'll do a spitting and drumming thing, you know, where they, they, they go, and you know one's really close then. And uh, you might not see him, but he's there. And all of that together, and then when you finally see the, the you know, him come out with the, the fans spread out and his wings dragging the ground, you know, kicking up pine needles behind him, and they kind of do this pirouette dancing type of thing, and their heads are... They, they're able to do something with their heads that makes their heads turn red and blue. It's just the brightest thing that you can imagine, and, and, and white on top of that. That's when they're really trying to attract a mate. And to see that up close from, from you know, half the distance of this room, it just 
it just does something to you. What do you use to hunt turkey? Uh, as far as a gun, I, these days I'm using a 20-gauge uh, semi-automatic. I'm using uh, three-inch shells loaded with a material called uh, tungsten super shot. And it's a very light, small pellet, about the size of number seven lead, but the density of it is much denser than lead. So okay. it, it's very lethal at a, at a, at a longer distance. What, what's, what, what's the distance you're comfortable at, max distance you're comfortable shooting at? Uh, you know, it's, it's not really that I'm comfortable at it so much. It's just the, the way I feel about it. I try to get them in my lap. Mm-hmm. It's just an accomplishment to me to get one as close as I can. Mm-hmm. The longest I've ever shot one was probably about 70 yards, and I didn't know it was that far. That was a couple of years ago. I just saw the bird. I thought it was closer because of the way the topography was. Shot it, rolled it. It was one-shot deal, and I quit counting steps at 70. Hmm. And I wouldn't ordinarily do that. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, let's completely shift gears to another state and another type of uh, activity, and that's fishing. I saw this story in the paper yesterday, and it was about invasive carp. And there are a couple things about this. There are four species of invasive carp that are in this, uh, I guess it's in the Mississippi River. And they are hiring people to go out and try to wipe out these invasive carp. First of all, I want to know how they got there. Also, I'm wondering who is doing this because it says there's a vendor that's contracting with commercial fish companies and is paying them 7 to $0.10 cents per pound for the invasive fish. And I'm like, I know times are tough. I don't know how many pounds they're going to get. But seven to ten cents a pound does not seem like much to me, Brian. Not a lot. That's not enough in- <laughs> in- incentive for me to do anything. Yeah, that's one of the reasons they're not having a whole lot of luck <laughs> getting that done. And it's not just—I mean, that's all over. Yes, from really from uh, all of South Arkansas, I would say is is infested with these things. You can go down below Wilbur Mills Dam on the uh, Arkansas River there, for example, if you're trying to catfish, and the catfishing has just gone to pot there because of. The infl- you know, just the invasion of the carp. The carp are eating the food? Yeah, they're eating the plankton. They're, they're filter feeders and they're bottom feeders, so they're eating up everything that your forage base would eat. You know, the shad, the, uh, the, the bait fish that your, that your native game fish would depend on. The carp are, are eating all that up and just basically sterilizing, sterilizing the ecosystem. Uh, Kentucky has been fairly successful in Kentucky Lake with some incentives to have commercial fishermen re- get them out of there. That's one of the, the world's greatest bass fisheries and crappie fisheries, and the carp were in danger of just wiping it out. So Kentucky spent a lot of resources to get commercial fishermen in there to remove them from there, but we've got them all over this state, too, all through the White River, National Wildlife Refuge, Cache River, all that. How they get there, and, and what do you do to effectively eliminate them or at least limit their numbers? Can't. You know, they got there. They How did Kentucky do it? Well, they put a lot of money into in one lake. Okay, into getting them out with commercial fishermen and uh, lake is easier than river. Yeah, lake is easier than river because they migrate up. Arkansas Game and Fish Commission's done. They've they they've taken some steps to. Uh, there's there's pretty extensive regulations on moving bait fish. For example, you can't go below Murray Lock and Dam, for example, with a cast net and get you um, a tank full of shad and then take them out to Lake Washita to use for stripers uh, because of the possibility of, you know, getting some fingerling uh, carp in addition to the shad that you mm-hmm. think you're getting mm. and those getting out. And then the next thing you know, they're in Lake Washington and then they're moving up. They've taken some steps to keep that from happening here, but they migrate up river systems. They go through locks and they go through dams. But how they got here was just the way everything else does, imported somehow. 
They may have come in in the ballast tanks of some freighter in New Orleans that got dumped out. You know, uh, they may have come in just like the, like we were talking about through a bait fish uh, situation. Yeah, grass carp, for example, got here through the through through a you know through the commercial uh, uh, fish industry. Is there any good usage for carp? I do know people. There are people that eat them, but it's not a most popular fish or very popular. Yeah, not mainly because they're so hard to deal with. They're very bony. bony. They're they're, uh, they're pretty, you know, flaky, light tasting fish. They're just hard to deal with, and they're really bloody, and you know, they're just it's just not we we're, Americans are conditioned to game fish, catfish, bass, crappie, walleye, things like that. Carp. Even though they're very popular to eat and catch around the world, they're not here. It's like soccer and football. Sure. We do one thing here. We don't really do another. Now, there's an analogy I can understand. Yeah, right. Gotcha. Can you tell me about this 100-pound uh, paddlefish that was caught? Yeah. Uh, don't have the details on that, but paddlefish, I remember the first time I saw one of those things. It was when I was 13 years old. And it was at Plum Bio, and uh, my uncle caught one. And, it's, you know, it's a, it looks, it's got the body kind of like a miniature shark. It's got this great big paddle on the front of it, and these things are filled with these sensory. Uh, they they use that to find stuff in the water, and they're very very valuable for uh, commercial caviar. That's what they're used for. The the fish itself is not all that great to eat, but the caviar is very valuable, hmm. and it's kind of replaced the beluga caviar around the world. So the paddlefish caviar industry in Arkansas and Oklahoma and Missouri and everywhere it's extremely valuable uh, uh, so anyway that that particular fish is a really good specimen how do you harvest the caviar uh, they they just cut them out I mean you're gonna kill that fish to get that you know and they just they just cut the uh, ovaries out and harvest the caviar how's the fish taste uh, never had one okay <laughs> how's the caviar I've never had that either yeah. <laughs> really, I've never really done caviar I don't think so not cultured. Yeah. What do you want from me? Uh, we got to hit a break. Stick around. Let's talk uh, yeah. talk ticks. Ticks. There's a tease. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk ticks <laughs> on the other side with Brian Hendricks. It is 11.57. We are just about out of time. Brian Hendricks has been uh, kind enough to come hang with us, and we appreciate McClard's Barbecue sponsoring the segment 95 years in. Uh, ticks have been around longer than that, Brian, and you got some tips on avoiding those if you're out and about. Yeah, the downside of doing anything in the woods this time of year, turkey hunting especially, is that you're going to be sitting in the grass probably or sitting among leaves and trees, and you're going to get them on you. So make it quick, you know. Uh, treat your clothes with uh, permethrin, you know, products called Permanone or whatever. Uh, don't spray that stuff on your skin. It's not good, but treat your clothes. Let them dry. That, it will last as long as you don't wash those clothes. And, you know, turkey season at the end of the season, it's going to get kind of ripe. But... What will happen is the uh, ticks will crawl up on that. You, you can watch them. It just fries their nervous systems, and it'll, it'll, if they don't get off of you, they're going to die. And, uh, you know, I give myself credit for being the first case of Lyme disease in, in, the, in the state of Missouri. And it was from a tick I got when I was turkey hunting, I believe in 2003, 2004. Uh, you know, got it off. Uh, got the got the Lyme disease symptoms, but since I did not have it diagnosed with lab results and all that, the state of Missouri refused to uh, to acknowledge it. But I still say I'm the first. We'll go with that, right? Uh, buddy, appreciate you. St. Tom's Cathedral is the book from our buddy Brian Hendricks. Check that out, and uh, happy hunting to you and everybody out there trying to bag a turkey. We appreciate you. We'll check you next week.